the word that we're focused on and that you'll be reading about in your devotional books this week is self-control. Self-control. What other words come to mind uh, or what associations do you have when you hear the word self-control? Maybe the word difficult comes to your mind because self-control is hard to practice. As the hard-fought Little League game was underway, the coach paused and took one of his players aside and he said, listen, do you understand that as much as we want to win this game, the most important thing is to be a good sport, win or lose? And the little boy nodded his head, yes. Do you understand that it's always inappropriate to be rude or ugly no matter how disappointed you are with how the game is playing out? And the little boy, again, yes. So, the coach continued, when a strike is called or you're out at first, you don't argue and you don't curse and you don't attack the umpire. Do you understand all of this? Again, the boy nodded yes. The coach said, good, now go over there and explain all that to your mother. In certain circumstances, we have great difficulty keeping ourselves in check and practicing self-control. Maybe fruit of the Spirit comes to mind. We had all the kids up here last week singing the fruit of the Spirit song, and tonight, uh, today I'd like to ask all of our senior saints to come up. And to, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I won't ask us to sing that song again, but that song is directly from the Scriptures, uh, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one, and maybe the hardest one, self-control. So maybe that's where your mind goes. Self-control, a product of the Spirit. What about the word battle? Did that word come to anybody's mind? Battle? You know, self-control, the very word, the phrase, implies a battle between a divided self. The word reminds us that our self produces desires that we should not satisfy, but instead control. Therefore, we have to practice self-control because there are certain urges that arise within ourselves that are not appropriate to practice, and so we have to keep those in check. It's a battle. Paul talks about this battle memorably in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, starting. He says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate to Paul? Is any of this ringing true for you? Continue in uh, the second part of verse 18. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, says Paul. For I do not do the good that I want. It's the evil I do not want. That's what I keep on doing. I so want to do good. It's my desire to do good. But it seems that I'm just not able to carry it out. And it's the evil that I'm trying to avoid and I'm trying not to do. That's what I end up doing. It's a battle within myself. These desires come up and they demand to be fulfilled. And sometimes I give in and fulfill them when I should control them instead. Dwight L. Moody, the well-known evangelist from the 19th century, somebody once asked him, of all the people you've come into contact with in your life, who, who's the most difficult to deal with? Who have you had the most trouble with? And he said without hesitation, Dwight L. Moody, I have had the most trouble with myself. It's a battle. And if we're in a battle, 
with ourselves, then in Titus chapter 2, we see that the battle lines are clearly drawn. And this is our text this morning, 2, starting in verse 11. We see here that Paul, in his writing to Titus, spells out the two competing sides. They are clearly identified in verses 11 and 12. Let's read this together. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is the message of the gospel that we've been called to proclaim. The grace of God, the favor of God has arrived for all people to benefit. And that grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So in one corner, uh, if you want to imagine a boxing ring, we've got ungodliness, we've got worldly passions, we've got our sinful fallen side that God's grace, that His favor is training us to reject, to restrain. And then in the other corner, we've got self-control and uprightness and godliness That's our redeemed spirit-led side that God wants to win out. That's the side that God is rooting for from the stands. And every single day, and you know this to be true because you experience it as a believer. Every single day, these two are duking it out in a battle royale for your soul. You know what it's like. Every day you wake up and you know that your competing selves are going to go to war against one another. And the self-controlled person is the one who resists the worldly side and submits to the spiritual side. And so the question for all of us today is, are you a self-controlled person? Are you resisting your sinful urges? And are you submitting to the leading of God's Spirit? Here's a helpful way to look at it. And I am borrowing some language here that I find to be very helpful. Self-control is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Self-control is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Esau was the older of two boys, twins, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. He emerged into the world just a second or two ahead of his brother Jacob, and therefore, he became the recipient of what is called in Judaism, the birthright. And Esau's birthright was no ordinary birthright. God was to fulfill magnificent promises, including the redemption of the world through the unique line descended from Abraham. And this line runs through Esau. He is the natural heir. And this fact, understanding this, and understanding the plan that God had for Esau makes the story that I'm about to share with you absolutely stunning. One day, Jacob, the younger brother, uh, he's cooking some stew, and Esau comes in from the field exhausted. Now, Jacob, the Bible tells us, was more domestic. He preferred to be in the tents. But Esau is a talented hunter. He's a man of the field, prefers to be outside. And on this particular day, Esau says to his brother, Let me eat that stew. I am exhausted. It reminds me of a kid coming in and saying, I am starving, as if he or she in this country knows what starving really is. I'm starving. Let me have some of this stew. I've been outside all day. And Jacob says very slyly, sure, all you have to do is sell me your birthright. The birthright. Esau responds, shockingly, 
I'm about to die of starvation. What do I care about a birthright? And so Jacob says, well, swear it to me now. And so Esau swears the birthright to him, sells his birthright to his brother. And then as promised, of course, Jacob gives Esau a little of the stew that he's been making. And so we have this trade-off, a birthright for a bowl of soup. And now the bloodline extends through Jacob instead of Esau. Esau in this story from the, the 25th chapter of Genesis chooses what he wants now over what he should have wanted most. Esau, what's he thinking? He throws away a glorious future for his descendants. He's a special part of this bloodline that God was going to fulfill extraordinary things through. And he says, I would rather have a bowl of soup. He throws it all away for a momentary hunger. And aren't we tempted to do the same in our lives? In our text in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul hints at our glorious future. He says that we as believers, we're all waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. As we live on this earth, we are eagerly anticipating the arrival of Christ And when Christ comes back, that's the moment that will begin our eternity with God. We'll get to dwell with God forever. We are so excited about that. And yet, if we and when we constantly give in to worldly passions, when we satisfy our base desires that come from the fleshly side, we, like Esau, are choosing what we want now over what we want most. We, like Esau, are forfeiting that glorious future that God has in store for us through Christ. By choosing what we want now, we lose what we should want most, which is a future in God's presence. I think about what Paul says over in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 25, when he compares Christians to athletes, he says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. To be good at their sport, they have to. They have to restrain themselves. They have to be disciplined and practice proper diet and exercise regimens in order to succeed. Every athlete does this, practices self-control, and they do it to receive a measly perishable wreath. But you know why we do it as people of faith? We practice self-control. We discipline ourselves so that we can receive an imperishable wreath. Someday, there's a reward that's coming. If we do what God has called us to do now, we will receive it. And so the principle here is, restraint now for reward later. Restraint now in our lives is necessary for reward later. And it's just as absurd as trading a birthright for a bowl of soup when we say no to eternal salvation over some measly desire that we want to fulfill in the here and now. Some sinful passion that that we want to satisfy. We say no to what we want most because we say yes to what we want now. And we're making a grave mistake. A mistake that's even far greater than the one Esau made. But self-control or a lack thereof, it not only determines your future, it also defines your present, who you are in the here and now. Bobby Knight was one of the most successful coaches in college basketball, as many of you know. He won not only three NCAA national championships with the Indiana Hoosiers, 
But he also coached uh, a USA basketball Olympic team to a gold medal back in 1984. His teams, so I'm told, I'm not much of an athletic guy, but his teams were fundamentally sound. They played with excellence and enthusiasm, and they were known for playing disciplined basketball. Bobby Knight, he's known as a great coach uh, who taught disciplined play to all his players, but he's also known as a man who disciplined everyone but himself. Yeah, he's remembered uh, for the scores of victories, but maybe more memorably, he's known for the chairs that he slung across the court, for the player he roughed up in a practice one day, along with his press conference tirades and temper tantrums. Bobby Knight, in the minds of many Americans, is defined by his lack of self-control. And when you lack self-control... That is how you are known. Are you a self-controlled person? Or is there a part of your life that's out of control? And maybe it's not as obvious in your life as it is for Bobby Knight. We can all see, you can go to YouTube and look up clips of when he lost his cool. Maybe on the outside, it seems to everybody around you that you are in total control of your life, of your emotions, of your will, of your decisions. But there's a part of your life that is spinning out of control. And maybe no one can see it. And I'll say, I'll attach onto that yet. Yet. Nobody can see it yet. But there's a time when that part of your life will manifest itself for others to see. If you don't take care of it now. Are you a self-controlled person? Or is your life, or maybe a part of your life, spinning out of control? The young man David was chosen to be king of Israel back in the Old Testament. because Not because he was the best warrior, not because he was the biggest of stature, the bravest, the strongest. He was chosen because he had a pure heart. From the time he was selected, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The Scriptures say the Lord was with him. He and the Lord shared a very special relationship. And then one day, a few years into his reign, while most of the men of Israel were off to war, which is probably where he should have been, David was strolling around on the roof of his house, and he just glanced across to one of the other houses. Of course, he's in the palace. And he catches a glimpse of a woman bathing. Very beautiful woman. In that moment, he saw something that he wanted, and he wanted it now. And so he asks one of his servants about her. Her name is Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, the wife. And David says, so what? David sends messengers to go and fetch her. She comes over to the palace, and well, David gets what he wants. And things quickly deteriorate from there. An unwanted pregnancy leads to an attempted cover-up, leads to murder, leads to lies and deception, and more death and despair. David's life becomes a train wreck, all because he chooses what he wants now over what he should have wanted most, which is something he already had, an intimate relationship with God. But instead of continually choosing that day in and day out, he sees something he wants now, and he acts on it, And forgets about what he should want most. 
I recently had a conversation uh, with a brother in Christ, and he was talking about some struggles that he was dealing with, some questions that he had about how he ought to live his life in order to please God. And towards the end, he said something to me that has really stuck with me. He said, my relationship with my Lord Jesus means the world to me. I wouldn't want to do anything to jeopardize it. Could you say that? In other words, he's saying, I am going to choose what I want most over what I might want now. Is that how you feel? And if so, is there anything interfering with your relationship with God that needs to be brought under control? When you face forks in the road and decisions that must be made, are you one to ask, will this lead me closer to God or will it lead me further away? And let me just say, there are not many neutral actions. Most things, most decisions you make will either lead you closer to God or further away. Is this going to enhance and help my relationship with God Or is this going to hurt my relationship with God? Do you ask that question when you're faced with a decision? In what areas of life are you out of control? Can I pry a little bit? Can I meddle a bit? In what areas of your life are you out of control? Is it uh, that your anger is out of control? That you sort of walk around uh, at a simmer And it just takes something small to to send you over the edge. Uh, Most of the time, you keep it in check. But your wife or your husband will say something. One of the kids will do something. The dog will, you know, have an accident in the house or something. And you, you're just, you totally lose your mind. You flip your lid. You fly off the handle. You lose control. You take it out on the people you love the most. Or maybe you take it out on somebody you don't know that well. You walk around and you're just ready to blow your top at any moment. Your anger is out of control. Maybe your materialism is out of control. I mean, you say you love God and you say that everything belongs to Him. It's a gift that He's given to you and therefore you want to give it back to Him and you want to use whatever you have in His service But the way that you work so hard to make more money so that you can buy more stuff, I mean, that speaks louder than your words. And the car you drive and the house you live in and the luxuries you enjoy without really sacrificing or giving back in service to God, actions speak louder than words. And maybe your materialism and your love for money and for stuff is what's out of control in your life. Maybe your lust is out of control. Internet pornography is an epidemic in this country. And it would be foolish for me or for any of you to think that in an audience this size, there's not at least one person who's struggling with that this morning. At least one. Survey after survey is taken of the American public and Christians. So many people are struggling with pornography. Men and women. You know, it used to be harder to access it. You'd have to hide out. You'd have to try to hunt it down. Now it's as easy as turning on your phone. Is your lust out of control in your life? Is that a side of you that's spinning out of control? 
Nobody else can see it. But you know that that part of your life has not been surrendered to God. Let me share some good news with you. It's good news to me. You can only practice self-control by the power of the Spirit. By the power of God's Spirit dwelling and working in you. I don't know what it is, but it seems to me that self-control is is the fruit from Galatians 5 that we most think is up to us. It's the one that we think, that's the one that really is up to my effort. That's the one I got to work on. I mean, the rest of them I can see that God would have a hand in, but it's self-control that that really, the, the buck stops with me. Not true. It is listed there in Galatians 5 as a fruit, a product of the Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit in you, You will not become a self-disciplined, self-controlled person. If you're not submitting to the Spirit, you don't have a chance. You do not have enough willpower. You do not have enough exertion to live a godly life. It is a hopeless quest without reliance on the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord, who after 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness was able to resist Satan's offer of a loaf of bread? Our Savior, who said in Matthew 26, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? (laughs) Don't you think for a minute that I couldn't with the snap of my fingers say, God, send down the army of angels and rescue me from this suffering, that I couldn't do it? I could. I could. If I had less self-control, I I would. But he doesn't. And like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. As he's led to certain death on a cross for us. When he was reviled, the Scriptures say, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself To him who judges justly. Jesus chooses what he wants most. And what is that? What he wants most is your redemption. Is your salvation. That is his greatest desire. He chooses what he wants most over what he wants now. Which was to be delivered from certain suffering and death. Jesus, as Paul reminds us in Titus, gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus, the ultimate example of self-control. The one who chose what He wanted most, which was for you to share a relationship with God, over what He wanted now. Do you most want to receive salvation through Him? And maybe, maybe that's the question that we should have started with. Because I'm just assuming that you as a Christian, that we as believers, that what we want most is a relationship with God, that what we want most is salvation eternally in His presence. But maybe... That's not what you want most. And maybe you're convicted by that reality this morning. Maybe you're thinking, I want to want that most. 
and I need God's help. This is a time that you can come and ask for prayers along those lines. I am not as desirous of a relationship with God as I ought to be. I want to want that. And I need prayers that God would help me want that more. Maybe you're not a baptized believer. And you're sitting in this audience today and you're a good person. And you do a lot of good things. But because you haven't placed your faith and your trust in God to save you, you are in a lost condition. And you know, it's not popular out in the world to talk about the saved versus the lost. It's sort of out of vogue. That's what the Bible teaches. If you haven't said yes to Jesus and surrendered your life to Him in that watery grave, then you're sitting out there and as friendly and as good a person as you might be, you're lost. Jesus doesn't want you to be lost. He went to the cross so you wouldn't have to be lost. And today, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, all you have to do is come down and say that that's what you believe and repent of your old life and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll be brought into God's family and you'll be given the most precious gift of all. Do you most want to live for Him? Is that evident in how you're resisting sinful desires? And how you're practicing self-control? As I said earlier, maybe there's a part of your life that just spinning out of control. Totally gone off the rails. And you need help. You need help. And you're going to be tempted to just sit there uh, and finish out the rest of this worship service. Walk out the door. And you'll be back into that cycle again this next week. Whatever it is, fulfilling those same desires. Listen, you can come. You can receive the forgiveness of God, the support of this church family. You can go see a couple of our elders across the hall. Please don't leave here this morning. If there's something amiss in your life, if there's something blocking the way from your relationship with God, This is a time for you to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. The news that salvation is offered to all and that Jesus gave his all for what he wanted most. Which is for you to be saved over what he wanted now. Which was to be delivered from the punishment. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Won't you come as we stand and sing?